0: Hey there, welcome to A Woman's Sacred Truth, a podcast where we are going to explore some uncomfortable and often even painful experiences, but also the joy and satisfaction that comes from moving beyond what has hurt us as we reach new levels in our life, which feels like, honestly, the best thing ever. Hello there, welcome to A Woman's Sacred Truth. My name is Mian. I am your host for the next hour or so here on the podcast, and today, oh my goodness, you are going to meet Brittany. Brittany, what can I say? Beautiful Brittany, oh boy, brave, definitely brave, <laughs> so brave to come on with me and share her story. Brittany, wow, okay, so, well, here's the title. Turning chaos, drugs, and depression into self-love through divine devotion. This woman, you guys, she grew up, um, well, without a dad. So she had a deadbeat dad. And her relationship with her mom was controlling, manipulative, absolute chaos, and uh, really hard. And so Brittany, you know, she she went deep into the drugs and multiple, multiple rehab stints um, at a very young age, okay? And so when I met uh, Brittany earlier this year, 2023, she was, you know, hanging out in some pretty de- depressed vibes. Anyways, to um, to witness her and to know her and, and already now in, in such a short time. But, you know, the truth is she's been at this, You know her whole life she has been searching to fill that void for her whole life right and so yes it took her to an extreme one way and now it's taken her to the extreme other end where all the beauty lies so here she is and uh, I know that this episode is going to bring hope and light into anyone's life who has you know had some pretty heavy-duty rock bottoms It's going to be amazing for you to hear this. So please share this episode with anyone that you know that uh, needs to hear, needs to hear what's possible. That's what this is all about. And um, just for some uh, housekeeping issues here, little things I want to share with you. Two things. In a week or so, uh, I think on the 12th of December, I'm going to be holding a masterclass and any woman who this speaks to is invited to come. It's obviously going to be online just a masterclass couple hours and we're going to dive deep into female empowerment and feminine power and what exactly does that look like and how you can be embodying and channeling more of that from the archetypes that are there for us and all the energy that is there for us as a woman who lives from a powerful place. Um, So that's going to be really fun. So shoot me a message. If you've got my number, text me. And if not, Uh, If we haven't met, you can find me on Instagram, send me a DM, talk to me, tell me what's going on. Tell me if you'd like to hang out for a few hours to become more fully empowered and how to do that and how that looks from a beautiful divine feminine kind of way. Okay. So that's gonna be really fun. The other thing is starting in the new year, 2024, I'm going to be holding monthly gatherings. I'm not sure what I'm going to call it yet. Just thinking about the love club sounds a little too gushy but you know we're gonna have monthly maybe bi-monthly gatherings okay so for accountability and alignment so if that is speaking to you I also want to know this is going to be a monthly thing totally affordable pricing for gathering once or twice a month not quite sure yet working out the details but if that sounds fun and again to keep you dialed in to keep you refining and to keep you in alignment and accountable for who and what you are, and what you're moving towards. Okay, so that's really fun too. So again, send me a message. You know how to get a hold of me. And uh, enjoyed this week's episode. Love you guys. Welcome, Brittany. I am so, so happy that you have said yes. You are so courageous, and I'm just so pleased that we have been able to come together. And that we have met, which again, when I was looking back this morning, I couldn't believe it was this year. I thought it was last year. I feel like I've known you for so much longer than like six months. Feels like years, like honestly, but you know, that's what happens, I guess, when you are welcomed into someone's inner world. And when you get to hear about their life story, you just, you know, you fall in love with them. And, and it just feels like you've known them forever. So everybody, this is Brittany, beautiful Brittany, and I'll just have you share just a couple of details, like, you know, where in the world you are and maybe your age or whatever else you want to share.
1: Sure. Hi. Yeah, I'm Brittany. I live in the United States. I'm 37 years old. I've been married for about 14 years to a wonderful man. We've got two beautiful boys. We're about, gosh, halfway through the raising of our kids with a 10-year-old and a 13-year-old. I've been a teacher all of my life in one way or another, mostly working with children, but also doing a little bit of adult education. And currently, I am resigned from that in a professional manner, and I'm at home taking care of my boys, kind of reinventing my life in a new state, and really taking this time. I was really afforded. I was afforded. I was blessed this time to take a minute and sort of reflect on my past 37 years of life and how I want the next 37 years to go and working on myself, working with you, working on... Beautiful. Yeah. So that's pretty much where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. And Eastern U.S.
0: I'm just going to kind of point that out. I think for some people, they like to know that kind of geographical thing.
1: So... Yeah. Formerly Southern, now Northern.
0: Let's uh, let's go back here because, uh, yeah, it's been an interesting year for you and... Uh, yeah, I mean, I like I said, I it almost I was stunned when I looked back at the dates. I was like, "What? We just met in April of this year." And because I remember, <laughs> I remember where you were at and and what you had been sharing with me, where you had been at for a little while, right? And so, where should we start? Let's start there. If you want to just kind of give me a little brief snapshot of when we first met, how you were actually feeling and then we'll go back even further, okay?
1: Okay, yeah, absolutely. So I met you it was by divine intervention for sure. I'm certain of it. I well I'll just say how I found you first. I found you on Instagram. I had been I had been looking but not really looking. I had been putting out to the universe that I needed some help. And I have a long history with the program, AANA, and I was feeling quite unfulfilled by that path. And I had been for the past few years um, very humble and that I know it's a way that works, but also a little frustrated in that I wasn't, after years and years of using that, I was still feeling left like something was missing in my recovery so um I put to the universe that I, I needed some help and I, I had this unshakable knowing that there was another way. It was like everything in me wasn't feeling resigned to working that anymore. Not I wasn't trying to avoid it, but I knew that there was something deeper that I was just I wasn't getting. So Somehow your profile popped up onto my suggested friends list. I friend, I followed you or liked you or whatever you do on Instagram. And I scrolled, I remember scrolling through your feed and going, oh, this is what I've been looking for. Everything you were about. I was like, yes, it was resonating with me. And I thought, well, if this was meant to be, you know, maybe I'll reach out in a few days or whatever. I was in a very, very dark place at that time. So there wasn't a lot of motivation, (laughs) motivation or gumption. I had felt like I had tried so many different things. So much money had been invested in my recovery already with various therapists, with rehabs, with programs, with, you know, all kinds of things. And so I said, well, if this was meant to be, it'll be. And the mm-hmm. I think it was the next day you messaged me and you said, hey, you said something to me personally. And I was like, oh, this is, that was the sign that I needed. And I jumped in immediately with you. But where I was at at that point was I was. Um, I probably just asked, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah. You probably just said, are you ready to make, you know, are you ready to move forward with something? And I was like, yeah, actually, I am. So it was by divine intervention. Everything inside of me knew that I had found the person that was going to help me and you from the moment that I had started working with you, it became clear that you were um, an angel, you know? Um.
0: (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) No. And I have to ask right now, knowing what you know now from everything you just shared there, what was that missing piece or what was the difference or what was that thing that you were still lacking? now that we've come through the process
1: there was a naming of my trauma and uh some there was there was mm. a naming of my trauma that I hadn't done yet there was a a lack of accountability in my life. Someone who was really able to clearly call me on my stuff, positive and negative. And for somehow, some way, you Mm -hmm. were able to do that week after week, just nailing it on the head. And I can't tell you how many times I've told my story to, how many times I've talked about my childhood with various therapists, but there was something about this particular time that got to this common theme where all of a sudden I could see so clearly my subconscious behavior um, how they were playing out in my day-to-day life so I wish I could tell you exactly what was missing but really it was an uncovering it was an uncovering and an identifying of some particular thing which I know now I, I can name it now and I'm sure we'll go over it but I can n- name those things now and it's something that has helped yeah
0: wow I actually thought you were going to say something about the, the spiritual element <laughs> but I love that you said all that Because you are such a a deeply devotional, spiritual woman. And I was going to, I thought you were going to say something about that.
1: Well, without that part of it, none of this would have been possible without my Mm. having a relationship with a power greater than myself and and listening for those messages and the intuition that you were bringing up. But they were illuminating for me. They were begging me to take a look at. So without that, I don't none of this would have been possible. And it's a huge part of my story for sure.
0: Yeah, I can't wait to talk about that. Okay, so. There you were last winter and spring feeling a little bit down in the dumps. And I mean, man, woman, you have just, I have to just like applaud you here at your determination, dedication. I don't know. Like you just, you, you have kept trying through the years, like before we met, like you knew, you just kept knowing, right? Like there's more, there's more. I've got to keep clearing. I've got to keep aligning. I've got to I know I can get through this and I know there's something more beautiful on the other side waiting for me and, and I'm not going to settle. That's, that's it. I love, that's what I love about you. You're just like, nope, I'm not settling. I'm going to keep searching. I'm going to keep applying myself until I know I get to that place of greater love and freedom, you know, in a nutshell. Right. And you, like you've been working at this for years.
1: Yeah. Years and years and years.
0: (laughs) Like, look at you. Yeah, thanks. You're welcome. It's really impressive. And I know that there's a part of you that didn't even want to have this, you know, conversation today, because I know there's a part of you that still feels like, well, I'm not there yet. So I can't, you know, I can't talk about my story. I'm like, hell yes, you can, woman. It doesn't matter where you're at. You're on the path. And you have come miles, right, from where you are. So let
1: oh yeah, and I'm not done yet. So this is just another step. So let's
0: let's talk about what kind of set you up in those early days of your life to have these great struggles and challenges, right? And and mountains that were just like plunked down in front of you for you to climb very early on, right? So there you are. Little Brittany, coming into this world, and you want to share what the first <laughs> the first few years of your life are like so that whoever happens to be listening can understand why this um, has been a challenge.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I was born into a bit of uh, chaos. You know, it was the mid to late 80s. There yes. was big hair and loud music and lots of cocaine. <laughs> and it was a very... You know, it was a relatively glamorous, fast and easy time, and my that was yeah the eighties. Yeah, that was my parents. They were two, you know, relatively beautiful humans. My mom was like a bartender on the beach, and, and my yeah. father was a beach bum, surfer, drug dealer. I think um, it was a a fast and furious romance that led to me, and um, <laughs> I think that I, you know. <laughs> I, I was born out of love. I will tell you that. My parents did have a moment of love. Yeah. But I was born into trauma. Um, my mom had some some core wounds of n- not feeling like she was enough and also not having a an unconditional source of love. So, of course, for her, a baby was um, temporarily going to fill a lot of those things for her. So she did love me right from the get-go. And mm-hmm. then my dad... Um of course he did as well but he was using very heavily and that was um that was his main mm-hmm. concern in life at that time so eventually you know things were ugly from what i understand there was a lot of irresponsibility with me as a baby there was a lot of leaving me at other people's houses and partying and um the final straw was you know my dad had a mental breakdown and stole me from a child care center and So it was a rocky first couple of years. Um, Of course, I don't remember any of that. Mm -hmm. Now, what happened from there was my mom ended up leaving my dad and um, taking me off across the country. And I think from that point forward, my dad sort of realized that, well, he had the belief that he was better off staying away. Um, Although he did end up getting his addiction Mm -hmm. under control, Mm -hmm. he still had a lot of scarcity mindset, scarcity around what he was able to provide or bring to the table. Um, I can see that with clarity now. Of course, when you're growing up, you're just growing up without a dad. Right. Right.
0: Right. So in essence, yeah. So I think you said it was around two that he, yeah. So in essentially, you were raised by your mom, and your dad was completely, yep, yeah, absent.
1: Dad wasn't around. I don't, yep, yeah, don't remember.
0: I mostly want to talk about your mom because that was your, you know, she was your sole source of parental right for your whole growing up yeah and and just to point out here because I do want to I want to really ho- hone in on this mother wound of yours because with your dad it was you know it's pretty pretty straightforward he mm-hmm. essentially became you know the what they call the the deadbeat dad just gone and absent and not really participating whatsoever and so in in a nutshell what happens there is and what happened for you was it made you feel just on your dad's side there, um, unworthy, right? So, you know, he's not showing up, he's not there. And uh, it's like, wow, I guess I don't deserve, you know, to have his presence, to have his care, and therefore I'm just not worthy of it because he's long gone. So that was kind of, I just want to touch in, like I said, to that element there with your dad's side, right? Just literally not showing up. So, absolutely. Let's talk about, yeah, your experience with your mom.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, my mom. I grew up in what would be considered a pretty typical middle-class family, but behind the facade that, you know, we were peppered with narcissism, manipulation, addiction, Um, you know, uh, uh, let's just say dogma, tons of religious dogma. We were very Catholic, which I'm very grateful for, but at the same time, it left me with a tremendous sense of guilt. It was often used as a sort of fear tactic in my household. And um my mom wasn't really as stable stable in her ability to take care of me. So I say that because we ended up living with my grandmother most of my life um and my mom had to work really hard to make ends meet. Yeah. Um which meant that she was she was not around a lot. She she worked um, very long hours. I don't remember what she did when I was young, but eventually getting into real estate. Um, worked very long hours in real estate. She worked, um, uh, and I spent a lot of time alone. And that is something that I remember being a common theme for me, is just how feeling how alone I really was as a child. And even when I wasn't alone, I felt alone because... I was typically in the care of someone else who had their own children, or I was with cousins who had siblings, right? So right from the get-go, I felt like I I never really was uh, unconditionally loved by anyone, to be honest with you. I never really felt super close to anybody I remember feeling slightly jealous of my cousins having their siblinghood, mm. you know, because when you're growing up together and you're playing or whatever, something happens, they always had each other's back. I was always kind of the one last left- There's family. Yeah, without anyone sticking up for me or without anyone really looking out for me or paving the way or teaching me anything Right. Um, yeah. So it was a common theme, and that that carried throughout my relationships into like school. Uh, we moved several times, which meant that I didn't feel like I had any long term friendships. You know, I never really had that that person I had known since I was born that knew me. And um, to make matters, and that became a big focus of my childhood was just feeling like I never really was connecting or connected. To anyone. And I think that comes into the the branch of like, yeah, and not feeling like I'm enough. I'm not I don't fit in. I don't really belong. I'm not enough. Um, and to exacerbate that, you know, growing up with my grandmother in her household, she was wonderful. She was like a saint. She was really a really loving human, but she was also sickly. Um, and it was my responsibility a lot to come home at, right from school and take care of her. So it was often used as a tactic to keep me at the house. So I wasn't really, I, you know, I wasn't really allowed to bond with my friends or go have that time with people that I, I so desperately desired to just— You were put to work. Have, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I loved my grandma at the time. I didn't, I didn't know, but it was just so desperate to feel like someone loved me and I fit in.
0: Yeah. And when your mom was there and, and parenting and looking out for you and, and, running the show and all that because you know essentially she is a a single parent right so yeah she became quite controlling right and and you talked a lot about the chaos right so when it was just you and your mom and she's doing her thing like with you as a mom and a parent and etc um there's a lot of chaos she's um explosive and controlling and
1: unpredictable
0: that's pretty uh pretty scary yeah right so unpredictable manipulative
1: yes yeah, manipulative c- uh, controlling yeah i'm um, loving but in a in a way that's not really safe like love bombing you know love with expectations i learned from a very young age how to people please because i knew that if she was kept happy whether it was a logical um, yeah. way of being or not that uh, my life would be somewhat peaceful so, um, right. yeah. Uh,
0: so she was a roller coaster of roller
1: coaster, <laughs> yes. And I was a really, really good kid. Response. I, yeah,
0: she was up, down, left, right.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I was really well behaved. I was really afraid to get in trouble. Yeah. Well, you
0: had to be right. So walking on eggshells—that's always—that's the key, right there, when it comes to fear. Like if you, because your mom was it was almost like, hmm, not a ticking time bomb, but you just never knew, right? You just never knew if she was up, down, left, or right. So there's that chaos element. And then you're feeling like you're walking on eggshells around her yeah, because you just don't know what you're going to get, right? How How is she going to be? So it comes across very manipulative. Um, and then you've got to constantly, yeah, shape shift, people please, this, that, watch your, you know, be the good girl, be this, be that. Like, you just can't relax. Like, it's like, wow, And you're that feeling of loneliness, right? That always feeling alone. And then when she is there, it's like, oh boy, what am I going to get? Right? It's chaotic. Uh, Yeah. It's unsettling. It's scary. It's a lot of things. And it takes its toll. Yeah,
1: it was. And it was... And it was illogical, you know. A lot of it was based on the whim of every little feeling that she had. Right. Um, very little discipline with in that regard, and I think eventually I figured that out, and I rebelled pretty hardcore against against the whole facade. So, well, yeah. <laughs> of course yeah. you
0: are. Of course you are. It, it, it's classic, right, kids when they hit like, you know, roughly 13, it's like maybe 14, sometimes a little bit older, but if the first 12 years aren't decent enough, they're going to rebel. And, uh, I I like, like what you said there, it was, um, you just didn't know with her, right? Like it was so shaky. And so there you are, you hit your teen years and yeah, you're off to the races. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I was. You want to share how some of those teen years went down for you?
1: Yeah, the more that I rebelled, the more that she resisted in, in trying to, you know, sh- her forms of punishment were a grounding. I pretty much, I think I spent the majority of my high school years just grounded, constantly in trouble, constantly punished for mm-hmm. every little mistake, which I don't. I don't disagree that there's consequences to mistakes, but they were rarely ever natural consequences. In fact, in that regard, she liked to fix a lot of things. Oh, you, you know, you got caught skipping school. Well, let's just make that right. But you're grounded for a week, you know, so it was rarely ever letting me take the natural consequences. It was always um, her consequences. So I also think that that I learned at that time that mistakes were to be punished and that every single mistake is a reason to feel really, really poorly about yourself.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. So her parenting style through those tumultuous teen years became even more like oppressive for you or?
1: Yeah. Oh, incredibly. And
0: rather than trying to understand, like, why are you acting out so? wildly.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Nobody really ever sat down and talked to me about what was going on or how I was feeling or how I could actually interact with the world in a more graceful way. It was always just punishment. And she, like I had mentioned, she was a very busy single mom. She worked a lot. So that was her um, default is just you're grounded, you're at home. And that was very frustrating for a young person who's trying to figure out who they are and how they can operate in the world. And um, I know I kinda lost my train of thought with that. But my teen years I ended up rebelling hardcore. Um, I ended up searching for love and acceptance in all of the wrong places, including, you know, boys, drugs, partying, alcohol, the whole nine yards, um, skipping school, getting in all kinds of trouble.
0: She's also teaching you with all of that because that was a that was like part of her style. I mean, I don't even know else to call it. The way she treated you was punitive, right? So love becomes punishment, yeah, and and intense and fearful and controlling. That was the kind of love because it's all love, right? It's all love, but her form of loving you as a single mom was, yeah, punitive, harsh, um, chaotic, scary, shaky. And and it was intense. It was pretty intense. And so that's what you are taking in as, oh, okay, I don't deserve a gentle, nurturing, you know, steady, safe, caring kind of love. That's not the kind yeah. of love I get. So most of the time I'm alone. I feel very alone, alone, alone. That's a big part of your,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: wounding, right? Um, I, I'm not even getting any. But then when I, but then when I do oh, shit, it's harsh. It's hard. It's, yeah, it's it's punitive. So, yeah, you took it upon yourself to uh, just, you know, go your own way, let's say, right? Because who's there for me anyways? And when, when someone is, it's harsh.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to think of what was really going on through my head. I guess I just didn't know. I just knew that I had found something in drugs and alcohol. And I wasn't going to be controlled, even if that meant at the expense of my own life. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So um, I go about crazy in high school, I end up with my first major addiction. By the time I was 18, I had a full blown cocaine addiction. And I told my mom, you know, I said, Hey, I have a, a serious problem. I knew that my dad had drug issues. So I'd kind of been prepared. It had always kind of been instilled in me, Hey, you've got addiction issues in your family. You have to always be careful. So I, I had recognized this behavior. I was, ter- I was terrified at that age of what I had, you know, created for myself, which was, and yet walked right down the path. oh yeah oh yeah um a hundred percent and um so I ended up in my first rehab when I was 18 years old and I learned a tremendous amount I uh gave it my best efforts but within a month of coming home I had relapsed um I spent a few more months doing cocaine and then I think I was off to the races with crack I was really in a um, got thrown into the deep end of the mix you know it wasn't really just partying for fun I got thrown into some major players of my area and dealers that really sucked me in deep so I went from cocaine to crack and then a few of my so-called friends said oh my gosh Bernie, we we can't stand to see you on crack it's such an insidious drug why don't you try meth and I was basically a trash can of trash can of whatever you'd give me. So I said, sure. And then um, that was a whole nother off to the races story. Meth destroyed my life almost instantly, um, zero to 60 overnight. And long story short, I landed in my second, third and fourth rehabs with meth. Um, it took some trouble, um, some instances of getting in trouble with the law to really get me to slow down and get into treatment for the what was the last time. Um I did a I had to do a year in a halfway house after that, which I a hundred percent needed at the mm-hmm. time. And um there I was. So there I was, you know, four or five rehabs in maybe 22 at the time. And I was clean, but I wasn't, I had like kind of one foot in the door, like one foot in one world, one foot in the other. I still had longed for and missed that sense of yeah. excitement and partying, but I knew I couldn't sustain the life. And I was kind of in this limbo of,
0: well, you know, Yeah. But it's, and it shows this massive void, right? All of the, the, the drugs, the and, and with the drugs always comes, there's this sense of like the people that are connected to it, right? Because it comes a little, there's a almost like a built-in community, right? Yes. With people, oh, I can connect with these people through, through this thing. So you almost get this little like built-in family sometimes, right? But the main thing here that it, this exposes, obviously, is that there's this massive void that you are desperate to fill, right? Uh-huh. And you're just, you know doing your best to to fill it up any way you can. And like I said, and then the the people that are in that world, they start to feel like, oh, this is where I, I guess I fit in here because I was all alone and not getting the kind of love I needed back then. And so let's try it this way, right? It's such an easy trap and pitfall that so many people fall into. And so, oh my goodness, there you are. Yeah what were the twenties like then? Like where did the turning point come from you for you and what did start to open up that like completely shifted (laughs) your trajectory? And this is why I am just so happy that you're here and sharing because you are like this pillar of light and hope and, and to show like anything's possible. Like you can be over here and then completely be over here now, happily married with kids and like doing your thing. Um, and yet you're in the depths of, of the, the gutter for a while there. And so what was the turning point in your 20s there? When did things when did you get a glimmer of like, oh, this is how I fill the void. This is how I come into contact with actual love and family and connection. And peace. Yeah,
1: well, freedom. So I had definitely been to been to Helen back at this point, but I was sort of wobbling on a tiny bit of mm. stability and in walks in walks my husband. Um I met my husband and I remember very clearly at the time I had I had two guys on the line, you know, two guys at one time pursuing me. One represented a pretty strong Archetype of my past, party guy, you know, life of the party, and probably Mm -hmm. would have led me back down the path. And then came Rick, and he was so different from anything I had ever experienced. He was safe and stable and, you know, um, didn't party or use any sort of drugs. Wow. um, I remember having to very clearly make the choice of something that I wasn't used to, that was uncomfortable for me, that was safe, maybe even a tiny bit boring. Or the past that might have been more exciting. Ah, yeah, we love boring.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So I. Boring
0: I, is safe.
1: Well, for me, it was. And I don't necessarily recommend this way for everybody, but I found my husband, in my husband, I had found an excitement and a love and something that I had that became worth living soberly for.
0: Let's say and more intoxicating, like true love and safety and security is more intoxicating to your deeper heart and soul. Ah, Yeah, Literally fate walked in the door for you. Like this, this is fate, fate stepped in and said, give this woman (laughs) a redirection through this other human being.
1: Yeah, it was like from the moment I met him, he inspired me to be a better person, right? He just brought out the best in me. And I, I want to mm-hmm. say this with caution because I don't think a man is the answer to people's it solu- like problems. But for me in this instant, and because I was able to grow into it. Um, no, no.
0: He touched your soul, or he awoken something in your soul. He
1: awoken something in my soul, and we were off yeah. to the races, me and I never touched another drug again after that. I went on what I would say would be a pretty blissful uh nine or so years in um in love we we had two beautiful boys relatively quickly in our relationship i found a love for mm-hmm. exercise and nutrition and taking care of my body um so i became really into yoga health fitness meditation all of these really wonderful things that were filling my hole that were mm-hmm. bringing me out of this mm-hmm. dark place and were albeit temporarily, were becoming my new high. Mm -hmm. I say that temporarily because after nine or so years, there was still a piece that wasn't yet healed. And there's no amount of yoga or meditation, I think, that's really going to truly get to the the heart of it. And so I had to be brutally honest about that at some point. But for that time being, it carried me through a lot of years Um, gave me a really great foundation to build on, but I will say, I also fell away from the program intentionally. I was doing great. Um, I never really resonated with identifying myself as an addict for the rest of my life. Like that's always kind of been like, no,
0: you're so much more than that. So
1: I, I naturally started to sort of fall off from the high. I'm my name is Brittany. I'm an addict. I was like, I haven't used drugs in like seven years. So no, anyways, no. but during this time, I was pretty— We want to
0: let go of those labels.
1: Yeah, I did. And I was able to for a while, but I will say that I was under the illusion that alcohol was never my issue. And I did afford myself during these years, mm-hmm. there were weekend party binges that, looking back, were— mm-hmm. um, I was drinking to get drunk on a, on a regular, like a semi-weekly basis, which felt manageable for quite yep. some time. I, I could have probably managed that for a while. However, I eventually plateaued. I got as far as I could go partying on the weekends right. and drinking because it, it it's like a blessing blocker. You can only get so far when you're living in that manner. And of course- I love it. Knowing my true- My true purpose and and true way of being in life, I was only going to ever get so far using substances anyway. So that all came to a head during 2020. 2020 happens and all of a sudden COVID hits and I'm a brand new school teacher. It was a new teaching position for me. I was reinventing the wheel with having to teach online and also having my kids in school. It was tumultuous. But what was really happening behind the scenes was I started to drink more regularly. I remember it was like as teachers would meet online on Zoom, it would be like... Well,
0: it's socially acceptable.
1: Yeah, we would meet on Zoom and we'd be like, Margarita Monday, let's discuss how our week's going to be, how we're going to survive this (sighs) week. Then it turned into Wine Wednesday. Then it turned into, (gasps) yeah, Thirsty Thursday. And before I knew it, there were no Zoom meetings. I was just drinking every evening to take the edge off and relax and I remember very clearly looking at my husband going I don't know what's going on with him. Well they
0: were very stressful times, very stressful times.
1: They they were stressful and I also think
0: well and it what it's showing though when you go through any th- sort of stressful situation Um, any sort of stressful situation is whatever unhealed parts of you, Mm -hmm. they're going to rear their head when there's stress in your life. And so those unhealed parts were being exposed, right? That's what happens when you go through something stressful or a crisis, whatever sort of insecure, unworthy, unhealed parts, you're going to see them in anyone. So that's what really, you know, for a lot of people, it was a, yeah, it was a turning point. Right. And, and every, a lot of people really got exposed during 2020, 2021. Right. So
1: yeah, it was a turning point. And it was also so like, that was
0: interesting. So you had this little dip.
1: It was like an accelerator. It was like a catalyst into the truth of mm. what I hadn't, I hadn't addressed yet. And it was, it was such a clear invita- invitation for me to really, take a look at that. So needless to say, six months to a year in, I knew exactly where that path was going. I'd been down that path before. I waited until summer break.
0: Yep. And
1: I said, honey, I'm, I'm going to go put myself into treatment. I need to take care of this. I'm not going back down this road with addiction. I know what to do. Been here before. Can I go do it? Wow. And yeah. So proactive. Of- oh, woman. <laughs> Well, I mean, if there's one thing I'll say to people, it's never stop trying, okay? So I I was going to give it a try, and it was beautiful. It was wonderful, but within a month, I was drinking again, Um Now that was, let's go fast forward to the next school year. By Christmas of that school year, I knew that if I didn't do something drastic, it was going to start to affect my day-to-day life worse, right? Worse, worse. Or um, I was going to crash hardcore. So I resigned from teaching. Yeah. I went to treatment for the second time. And um, I thought for sure this was it. I delved in. Girl, when I tell you I delved in, the therapist there said (laughs) that I completed her entire month's worth of work in one week. Like I couldn't, you couldn't give me enough. I was like, what is going on? I want to get to the bottom of this. Let's talk about it. Um, But it's still somehow when I came home, I was still
0: yeah, well, what I think, and this is what I remember when we were working together so intensely going through some of your childhood stuff, and what I see again and again, and this is what I want to point out for anyone listening, is also make note of where you were at in your life. Your ch- This is what happens to w- women. And, and it's different for every woman, depending on the age of their child, all of a sudden, because you're always seeing yourself in your children, right? And so the ages that your your kids were around this time as well was also stimulating something in you. So they were pre-puberty, right? Uh-huh. And so that there's something going on there for that part for the little girl in you who was that age. We always see ourselves in our kids, right? even if you don't realize you do you do right and so whatever they're going through at a certain age it's going to trigger you from when you were that age okay so this period this is before when you go back here to when you know your rebellion kicked off as a teenager right yep. let's just go back a few years and what you were be how you were being hurt and um the kind of trauma that you were going through and, and so all of this is happening all at the same time for you, just a few years ago, right? Mm-hmm. And knowing that there was still something about that part of you, in other words, you know, the inner child, yes, right? Mm-hmm. That was hurt all those years ago, and now here you are, and it's like, you just can't. Like, the mother in you, the woman in you now, and I love the way you say, you know, just keep trying. In other words, just keep loving yourself. So your desire, your your need to love yourself just kept coming up for you. And it's like, no, I'm going to love myself. I'm going to love myself. And that's the trying piece. It's So you're not even trying. You are loving yourself. That's what it is. No, I'm going to love myself. I'm going to do something to show that I love myself and I can put myself first. But all of this is being um, driven at such a deep level by the energy that you're feeling in your kids. But then it, of course, it's just mirroring back. No, that little girl in me who was eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, right? Yeah. She needs something. She fucking needs something and I'm going to give it to her right now. And that's what you, I just like, oh, I just want to like do a little happy dance and cry and everything because that pull for you was so Beautiful and strong and, and you, and you did it. And so, yeah, so then we came to, well, let's talk about that winter just right before we, or spring, spring and winter just before we met where I think you kind of hit a bit of a a bottom, right? Some sort of depression and,
1: right? I did, yeah. So I had been- And you've
0: been doing the rehab and you've been going and you've been the treatment and yet here you fucking are. Uh, I had
1: spent thousands of my family's dollars on treatments again and mm. therapists and um, trying to call six women a day and it was just, not only was it not working, but at the end of the day, I was feeling, I was slipping deeper into this sense of depression, this sense of what is the point of being on this planet if I'm going to, if it's going to be like this- um, what it? what is it – I honestly – I remember explaining to you when I met you that I wake up every single day going, yeah. not another day on this planet as a human being. It was like I had this understanding that I wasn't this experience, right. but the fact that I kept having to wake up to it every day was – it right. was – it was so sad how sad it was, right and so I had become depressed um probably clinically chemically, which is of course exacerbated by the alcohol and then I had become I had started to disassociate from life um I had started to feel like I was here but I wasn't here. The world was happening around me, but I really wasn't um, connected to it in any way, shape or form. Like I was watching a movie that was going on, completely empathetic. Um,
0: and then therefore you yeah. would have to put a mask on, right? And this is what, yeah, oh. so you would then have to put a mask on to step into your day to be this, to be that, the wife, the mom, the blah, 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 right?
1: Oh my gosh, yeah, I can feel the exhaustion just thinking about that. It was exhausting just for trying to pretend like I was okay yeah. everywhere I went. Meanwhile, I couldn't make it through. Now, I was never a hard drinker. I was never a raging alcoholic, but I couldn't make it through a day without one or two drinks at the very least, which was plenty enough to knock me off my center, to knock my whole vibration off, to knock, you know, throw me into the tailspins of depression. Um, So I couldn't make it through a day without drinking. And one day I, I just... Uh, let me back up for just a second. Around the time that I started drinking heavily was also the time that I started having some spiritual teachers come into my life, um, some spiritual practices that I started to take up that um, were holding brevity. So while my spiritual life was starting to take off, my my material life was completely falling apart. So there came a time where I said, if I can't make it through the day without drinking, and God is supposed to be the one who's supposed to be getting me through this whole life experience, then I'm just going to collapse into my bed and I'm not going to do anything but pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read my books on spirituality. I'm going to watch my documentaries. I'm going to listen to spirituality. I'm not going to move. I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> Literally, I laid in bed and like did nothing but breathe Because I couldn't make it to the day. So I'm just going to focus on God and I'm going to ask for him. I'm going to ask for him to please remove the seeds of the weeds of my garden. If you want me, God, if you want me present in this life, if you want to use me for your ability, then you have to help me. You have to take me as I am, which is broken, which is um, confused. And I need you to help me. And I need you to take this from me. I don't just want you. I don't want to just put my big girl pants on. I need some miracles. (laughs) I need a miracle. And I laid in bed for about a week doing nothing but reading my books, praying. You
0: surrendered, woman. You surrendered to to your state. I
1: completely surrendered. Yeah. I slept. I cried. I prayed. Instead of
0: trying to put on a mask or do this or fake it or this or that, it's like, no, I'm going to surrender into it. I'm going to give it
1: up. I surrendered into that bed and when I woke The pain of it all. Yeah. Like, yeah. Wow. I, and so I collapsed into that bed. I stayed in it for about a week. And when I got up, it was like a rebirth, um, I haven't had the desire to drink since then from a very humble oh. and non-overly confident place. Um, the desire's been completely eradicated. Mm. And not only that, but I was shown um, in more eternal, everlasting, and blissful intoxication, which is love of God. I was gifted that grace and mercy, and now um, that has replaced—that has become so much more powerful than whatever I was getting from alcohol— Right. Um, yes. Yeah. So here I am, seven months later. Your
0: devotional practice, right? This is really important. Yeah. Um this is such a, a pivotal and important piece for you that holds you is this devotional practice. Right? you want to share just a touch about that?
1: Oh yeah. Without it, I mean honestly, it literally literally is the current that flows through the common thread throughout my entire tapestry mm. of my story. Um, it's the golden, the mm-hmm. golden thread. So that was only about a week before I met you. That was like not, I wasn't, I wasn't clean for I very long that. when I met you. I, it couldn't have been more than a week or two. I was very freshly, because I remember seeing on your your page really? like, yeah, you should have, uh, you know, you shouldn't be drinking when we talk. And I was like, oh, I barely make that cut off. But so, I mean, almost instantly God brought you into <laughs> my life to start. Sure. All right. You've surrendered. Wow. Now let's unpack that suitcase sister and see what's really inside. Let's
0: unpack this. You know, just now, It now what you shared at the beginning, when I said I was surprised, you said that now I get it because this is the thing, right? When someone, when you open yourself and you invite someone in to see and hear and also help to make sense and put all the little pieces together and they just kind of go click, and you're like, Yeah, that was my experience. That's why I felt that way. It came from this, this, and this. And now I'm going to choose. Like, we really nailed down some really specific um feelings and states and ways of being that were, mm-hmm. I would say, exactly like exactly what you needed. You can't generalize this for for most people, right? Like it, it really does take, I believe, a, a one-on-one, very, you know special kind of seeing and holding and validating, but also helping to make sense of and knowing that, okay, because of this, this right here, this is exactly what you need it can't really be general. It has to be specific, right? Because it's it's filling in those voids, those spaces, those empty places right. from your childhood that, that you never got met back then. And so that's been the cry all along, right? Is to give and solve some of those places that still we're crying out from way back when, right? So that's what, that's the beauty of getting this kind of like laser love one-on-one, you know, with someone who can see it and feel it and, and kind of like bring those little pieces together so you can feel whole again. This is the goal here. It's wholeness so that the freedom and the love can flow.
1: And it's it's really the single best thing I did was align myself with someone who happened to be you, someone who is doing what I already wanted to do. And it's like once you do that, mm-hmm. the current flows, mm-hmm. the vibration goes to where your attention is. And once I started working with you, it was like all of a sudden it wasn't. Just you, it was like all of a sudden these veils started to become lifted, right? Mm. Um. My perception started to change and everything started to shift. I was allowed to see things that I wasn't able to see before. So it was really quite incredible what happens when you start to shift your energy and align it with something, you know, higher, higher than where you're at.
0: Mm-hmm. And like, I love that you just said that we always want to be like, I'm just a little further down the path than you. I'm a little bit older. Not that that like makes any difference. Sometimes it can be someone younger. But you can just tell yeah. they've got the kind of energy or the clarity that I want more of that. So let me just align with that person who's just a little further down the path, right? And yeah, I've had the divine come through me and open things up for me. And and I'm just, it's like the privilege of a lifetime then to be able to like turn around and help others to open and get that clarity and that, you know, become more of that divine conduit that I've been allowed to become. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what you are and continuing to be as well, right? That divine conduit.
1: <gasps> well, I hope so. Yeah, that's the goal. Oh, I know so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know so. I can feel it. I, I see it. I feel it. I know it. And, you know, I you know, we're connected all the time now. So I I know what's going on in our world. So all right, you, I'm going to, um, I'm going to ask you these three beautiful questions. Okay. Okay. No, no pressure. Okay. (laughs) Let's see what, let's see what comes through. All right. So please share with us, please share with us when or where do you experience the greatest sense of freedom?
1: I experience the greatest sense of freedom when I am in control and aware of, as well as appreciative of my senses, but not a slave to them. Right? So it's sort of like an in the world, but not mm. of the world type of energy when I can observe what's happening with me, when I can appreciate it, but not stay too attached to any of those things, and maybe move between suffering and pleasure with grace.
0: Mm, that's very. I love that for you because of the depths of addiction and, and, and how young you were when you went through all those things. Mm. So I know exactly what you're saying there and how important that is that there's only one thing that I would say that I I would encourage you to change that one word of control to just being in charge of. Mm. Being in, you're in charge now. Okay. Because it's the drugs that are controlling you. Like control is the greatest mm-hmm. illusion, right? No one's in control. No human, right? Mm-hmm. So, but you're in charge now. The drugs aren't controlling you. You're not a slave to them. And whatever, right? On all the, you know, ways that it takes you, you're in charge now. Yeah. Of your yeah.
1: Whole and of my senses, right? Yeah. Right.
0: You're not gonna fall prey to. Yeah. And that gives you the freedom. Absolutely.
1: It gives me the freedom to operate within this world. Yeah.
0: Yes. 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 That message is really important. Okay. How or with whom do you feel the fullest sense of love?
1: Oh, that is without a doubt for me, that is God, um, Allah, Krishna, Buddha, Mm -hmm. the way, the flow, the Mm. harmony, nature, whatever, the universe, whatever you want to call it, when I'm in alignment with that, when I'm in that state of consciousness, keeping that on my mind and operating from a place of greater awareness, that is when I feel my fullest sense of love.
0: Mm. Which you know, I got to drop this in here because you just came back from India. How full. How full did you feel on your devotional journey out there?
1: Oh, explosively full, overflowing. You must have
0: just been exploding with fullness.
1: Yes, I really was. <laughs> if you ever get the chance to go on a pilgrimage, I highly recommend. Yes, yes, yes.
0: Oh, beautiful. Okay. Ah, one day, one day. And in the infinity of life where you are, what do you know for sure, Brittany? What is your sacred truth?
1: I am not this body. I am not this mind, but I am something divine. I'm eternal spirit soul here having a human experience. And that is my sacred truth.
0: You're amazing. You are just truly amazing. You've you've literally, you know been given a Mount Everest of a life, right? To, to Mm. scale. And you've just like, we are scaling Mount Everest in this life because I am a divine creature.
1: That's right. And I'm not, I'm not alone, never have been. And not only materially, you know, there's always been people, but there's also the gods. Yeah.
0: Well, you know what, that is just the perfect way to end this, that coming from feeling so alone to to look at like I I know you can't you guys can't see her face right now but it's like just total contentment and she's like I'm never alone and yet to be so traumatized initially feeling so alone right not feeling the love and the care and now you're just like I'm I'm never alone yeah yeah hmm thank you ah can you believe this woman isn't she something oh my goodness we are absolutely going to have to do a part two just so much information this is going to be the kind of episode that you need to listen to this again because we dropped so much good stuff here ah and if you've got any questions or comments or thoughts or anything like this please drop it in the comments or again you know connect connect with me on instagram you can send me a dm Share this episode and don't forget to click the follow button. Yes, and leave me a little rating. You know, and here's the most beautiful thing, which didn't come up, but I got to share it. She now, present day, in this moment, has a really good relationship with her mother and her father. The growth that they have all undergone in the last you know few years decades is astounding so isn't that amazing like isn't that just absolutely amazing she literally just came from a visit with her mom and saw her dad a couple weeks ago like there's just you know you guys love wins like I know it's so cliche and cheesy but it's the fucking best and love wins and if there's anything that you take from Brittany it's her devotion to love and to getting herself connected to it and staying there. She's just so beautiful. Thank you for being here. I love you guys.